Here's your host, Mike Schmidt. Good morning, Mike. How you doing, Ray? We appreciate everyone tuning in today. It means a lot to us when you tune into the show, or however long you can tune in. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, we're on a little bit early today, technical reasons, but that'll be okay. And hope that you can stay with us for the next hour or so. We'll, we'll be on until 10 o'clock here Eastern Time in, in the United States, Port St. Lucie. And if you're listening on the web, uh, you'll have to figure out what that relates to in your time zone, but it is Eastern Time here in the United States. Anyway, Mike Schmidt is my name. As you just heard, I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. And my usual partner, Gary Jones, is under the weather this morning called this morning and said he just couldn't make it so we'll be flying solo today hope you'll put up with me in that regard to talk for an hour by myself and and uh, try to make sense of a few things and one way you can help to if that situation is for you to call in we'd love to hear from you today and that would make my job easier as far as making things interesting for those who do listen in making things a little bit more uh, beneficial if you call in with a question don't ever assume that if you have a question or a comment that no one else would care about that because that isn't usually true at all. People really do have the same kinds of questions. And if you can call in and give us your question, that'd be a real, a real benefit to the show. You can even, not besides a question, you can even just make a comment about something you've heard on the news or something you've seen, whether it's about specific religions or anything like that. We'd be glad to hear from you. Uh, anything of a spiritual nature, the concerns of difficulties that people have or things going on in the world, we'd love to hear your comments on that. And we'll try to give you a biblical perspective, if possible, on on whatever you ask. We're going to sit here and we're going to look up a few scriptures that come to mind so we can bring them to bear on this subject. The premise of the show, We Are Just Christians, is that we can go back to the New Testament and the New Testament alone, the Bible alone, to find out how we ought to live here in the 21st century. Yes, it's an old book, old set of books, I should say, but it's certainly one that God intended to be relevant all down through time by the way it was written and what it says about itself in the text of the New Testament itself. And so we we take that seriously, and we're going to try to give you um, an important understanding, uh, some understanding of the things that you need to be able to do that, to be just a Christian instead of being part of some man-made denomination we just got a text from john it says go over who some of the early church fathers are and why do they matter well john you know i can probably do that off the top of my head here but i'm probably going to take that text and we're going to turn that into another show i hate to do that to you this this morning but um it's just it's a complicated subject i want to make sure i include i can give you two or three you know eusebius and chrysostom and all those kind of people um, Irenaeus, Irenaeus and all those, but I'd rather look that up and make sure I include the right people and get some good information on those. That'll be more beneficial. So we'll probably try to do that next week. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, put that on my list here. And John, if you want to go ahead and uh, text me again late next week or remind me of that, that might be helpful. I, I have everybody try to remind me of every, of everything because, uh, my memory's bad. I would think that it might be because I'm almost 70 years old, but my wife will remind me sometimes, no, you've always been like that. You're always scatterbrained, thinking from this to that to the other and forgetting stuff you need to be doing. And that's probably right. 
uh, it may be getting worse. I don't know. But the, the numbers to reach the show, never got to that, are 772-260-6120. We've got a call on the line, which we'll take in just a moment. But 772-260-6. See, there you go. That's all wrong. That's the text number. Uh, the phone number to reach the show is 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590. Do any of you have the same problem that once you think one thing, uh, if, if I meet you and I call you by a wrong name, I'm probably going to call you that wrong name 20 times before I can get it straightened out in my head. And might even if I see you a year later, call you the wrong name again. I don't know what that is. There's probably some kind of a description of a mental condition of that. But that seems to be my problem. But 772-340-1590 is the number to reach us here at on WPSL. If you'd like to text the show, like John already did. You can text the show anytime during the week, 772-260-6120. That's convenient for a lot of people rather than calling in, 772-260-6120. And oftentimes we can take your text while we're on the air. Uh, I, I can't remember very many times when I've done what I did to John here and said, I'm going to put you off for a, a week or so because of the nature of the question. The, questions that, the question he asks is a big one, so I want to consider it more carefully. Uh, than just popping into my head right now. Well, we've got a caller on the line. Uh, I think Ken is on the phone. Are you there, Ken? Yeah, Mike, I, uh, I heard your cry for help, so I decided to... Oh, okay, I appreciate that. Yes, it is a cry for help. I'm not whimpering or anything, but I would like to have some help. What's going on? What's I've got, on your mind? Yeah, I got two, two topics. Okay. You can whichever one you want to talk about. All right. Uh, the first one uh, is based from John 8, 56 to 59, and I would title it, uh, When Abraham Saw Jesus. That's the first topic. The other topic is, uh, I'll give you two different scriptures for that. Uh, John 18, 13 to 27, about uh, when Jesus told Peter the cock would coat before he, he would deny him three times. And uh, the scripture I'm going to put with that is Jeremiah 31, 31 to 38. So, could you pick? Well, we might be able to do both of those. Uh, this question about Abraham seeing Jesus, that's an interesting one. Um, Let's run over there. Let me, let me look up John 8 here. I wrote, the, I wrote that down so I could try to remember these things here, and, and maybe we can get to both of them. Uh, John, uh, John 8, and I, I, I know the scripture you're talking about, but I want, to, I want us to all to read it together in this case, and that's verse 56. Uh, it says, I'm going to go back a little bit. They... Uh, the, the, the Pharisees, in this case, or it says the Jews in verse 52 of John 8. And in John, in the book of John, generally, and I can't say 100% because I have to read the whole book again to do that this morning. But generally speaking, in the book of John, the word Jews means the leaders of the Jews, not just a Jewish person, the common Jewish person of the people of that day. So you had the Jews and then you had the people. 
that's often referred to in John, or the multitudes. So they would be the common people who were all, in our view, Jewish. But he's talking about the leaders of the Jews, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, and other, other political and religious forces like that. So these people come to Jesus and say, now we know you have a demon, uh, because he said, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death, and Abraham is dead, and he and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste of death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Well, who do you make yourself out to be? Now, these are all great observations, and I believe that those questions are the exact reason Jesus said what he did and mentioned that they would never take, so he would he could stir in their minds those kinds of questions. Just who are you? And of course, that's the, that is it. And Jesus said, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. If it is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God, yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do not know him, but I do know him and keep his words. So he, he's saying, I know God. You don't know God, but I know God. This is, these are some of the, Can I have a sermon I did years ago, embarrassing statements of Jesus. I should do this again sometime, expand on it. Jesus is to, to modern people, and maybe to the people of his day, kind of like that crazy uncle of yours that lives in the basement, you know, that you, you, let, you let him come out on holidays, but you're always worried he's going to say one of his crazy things. And and people are going to get all upset about him uh, talking about UFOs or something. And, and I guess I'm I'm kind of uh, to my nieces and nephews and great nieces and nephews. I, I think I'm crazy, Uncle Mike. I mean, you, know, you know, but this is what Jesus was that they just were just trying to say, you're just that person that says all these outlandish things. And this is one of them. Yeah. He says, if I if you say if I say I don't know God, then I'm a liar. And he says, and your father, Abraham. He rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said, you are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And he said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so he had passed by. So this is a, this is a startling account encounter in Jesus' ministry in the city of Jerusalem when he finally was down there. Or he claims to be older than Abraham and have seen Abraham and to know God. And, of course, he gets what we see a typical reaction. They weren't looking at the miracles he had done, the things he had said to assess whether he knew God or whether he was older than Abraham. They were just looking at the fact that he can't be 50. He's not even 50, so he can't know Abraham. Now, what I think what let me go back a little bit, Ken. Now, would you think that I'm off the track already on what I'm saying about this? First of all, well, well, no, no, you, you I haven't you, got where I'm going to go with it yet, but yeah, yeah. I think part of the I want to concentrate on what Jesus said here about Abraham. He rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. Okay, I'm going to give two options for that. All right. What are your two uh, options? Before, yeah, before I go there, I want to make one other point here on the end of verse 58. It says, I am. Uh, that's the first two letters of the name of Jehovah. Yes. 
Well, I think he's playing on that name of Jehovah right there. I think he's intending to refer to the name of Jehovah, Yahweh. Yeah, which is why they took up stones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's exactly right. They, they, And you can say I'm wrong, but they understood him to say that, didn't they? It's yeah. obvious by their reaction, they knew exactly what he was saying. Uh, and I think people miss it in our English because we don't use the word I am as the title of God, but that's what they were doing or Yahweh. Now, in the I have, I'm looking at the New King James Version here, and it has the letters I am in all capitals, and it's kind of letting you, giving you a hint that this is the name of God. Doesn't come out say that probably, perhaps in um, in some marginal notes it might say that. But in any event, I think the I think the the point that I would make about this is first of all, Jesus as a human being, a man on the earth with a human body, claims to have been in some way in contact with Abraham directly to know him and to have seen and have apparently conversed with Abraham enough that he says Abraham was rejoicing to see my day. Now, what I take from this is now let me go back a little bit. I, I think that this person that we see in the Gospels, this man, Jesus Christ, Jesus, the Christ, Christ is not his last name. Jesus, the Christ is the same as uh, is the Son of God, is the Word of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, what John 1 says there about the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us in verse 114 is that this Word existed before the time that there was a body associated with this Word. What we've seen in the New Testament is the time when the Word of God, which is God himself, did not have a body, and then he had a body being born of the Virgin Mary. So we see this man who has a body, and what we often overlook, and what the Jews obviously overlooked, was that that, that spirit that lived in that body as the spirit of God, was a there was a time when he was not embodied, when he was simply a spirit, eternal spirit. And I think that's what Jesus is referring to, that there was a time when Abraham perhaps after he died or maybe while he was alive, but Abraham encountered this word of God that did not have a body at that time. And they communicated in such a way that he told Abraham, I'm coming to the earth and my day is going to be the day that you were looking for. You were looking for a, a God to come and save the world. Well, that's going to be coming. And my day is that day. And now he's saying that day is here to the Jews. That, that day when God is coming to save the world in the form of, of this man, Jesus Christ, is here. So the word has been made flesh and dwelt among us. So it's talking about the incarnation. It's talking about the, the eternity of God, the omnipresence of Jesus Christ. It's really referring also in an ob oblique way to the fact that there are more than one in the Godhead. There is Father, Son, and as we know them now, Holy Spirit. And that that might have been in, looked a little bit differently in times past, but now in, in, when Christ has come, we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and He's referring to all of that. I think He's referring to His eternity. It's it's um, and there's many references to this in the Old Testament. I think that angel that came and visited Abraham in his tent before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, 
Some have said this was the pre-incarnate word coming in the form of an of an angel or a man to Abraham. That that's possible. The angel of the Lord's army, commander of the Lord's army, is possibly that in the Old Testament. Go ahead, Ken. Yeah, Hebrews seven. Hebrews chapter seven. Yes, I. That's uh, let me let me run over there. Um, I was thinking about that. I didn't think of it hard enough to actually say let's may go there. Um, and I'm trying to look at the verse here. One through four. Yeah, it's it's for for this king, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, prince of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. To whom Abraham also gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem. Salem means king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, without having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God, remains a priest continually. So now I've I don't know what you're getting at. I'm thinking that Melchizedek was an actual man who was made like the son of God in that. As a priest to God, he had no gene- genealogy or historical. He didn't come from a line of priests, as it were. He stands alone, and he is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Those are That's the meaning of his name. Are you saying this is Jesus here, or this is the pre-incarnate Christ? I think it could be. It could be a well, appearance it, of Jesus in the Old Testament. It could be. That's very possible. Um, it, it does, he's not presented as a non-person. What's that? I have a couple of reasons for saying this. Okay. First of all, he received tithes and worship. Angel doesn't do that. Only God would do that. Right. And and the, and, the, and the, well, I think the point here is he received a tithe like the priests of the Old Testament. But he was, but he, but Abraham, who was greater than the priest of the Old Testament, paid him a tithe. So he's greater than Abraham. Yeah. Right. At least the eternal. fundamental idea. Because he's eternal. Well, that's one interpretation of the without father, without mother, without genealogy, neither beginning of days nor end of life. That's is that the phrase you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, some. I don't I can't vehemently disagree with that, except that I will point out to the listeners. Some simply say that means that unlike the priests of Aaron, the Old Testament priests, you could trace their genealogy back. And you because they formed a genealogy, you had to know who their father and mother was and how long they were alive and how old they were. But no one knew this. No one knew any of this about Melchizedek. He simply appears we don't know who his father was. We don't know who his mother was. It doesn't matter because he's a priest unto God. And we don't know how long he lived or how old he was. Whereas the priests of the Old Testament, their their lifetime and their death, for example, signaled many other events like the, free, you know, uh, the freeing of captives and so forth. So uh, that that's the other side of this rather than just means he was he was an eternal being. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so... Um... So that's that's the one one possibility. The other, uh, oh, you're oh, saying at that point, you, Abraham. I mean, let me make sure we get this. I get this correct here. You're saying at that point that 
that's one point at which Christ could have talked to Abraham. Right. Right. And uh, one thing, if you look at Genesis 14, 18 to 20, which is where when the Savannah took could, uh, Abraham gives Melchizedek bread and wine, which is makes you think of communion. Yes. Um, so, and okay. that's that's right. That's that you see that there, and that's been pointed out that, that and and a Melchizedek is obviously a very solitary figure. I think the way he's used in the New Testament is if you want to use just keep it in its context in the new is that this priest that Abraham paid tithes to is greater than Abraham and the Abraham therefore is greater than the than the uh, priest of Aaron because they were still in his loins and yet the one who bore all the priests of Aaron paid homage to this Melchizedek and Christ it says in the prophecy quotes in Psalm 110 is a priest after the order of Melchizedek forever, not one whose lifetime is limited and who is a, who, who the, which the priests of Aaron were. So he is saying Christ is of a different lineage than Aaron, and he is of a greater lineage to which the priests of Aaron paid tithes even before they were born. They paid tithes to this priest. So that's how he's used. Is it intending to say he is eternal? Perhaps. But at least it says he is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of the same type and order, which is a priest forever. Now, that's in its context. By the way, uh, Ken, Gary Jones texted me. He wants to know what you would think of this. Joshua 5, and I, ref- I alluded to this a moment ago, Joshua 5, 13 through 15. When it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you with us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. So mo- many people, I won't say most commentators, but very hu- large numbers of commentators have all have thought that this is also a reference to the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament that came to Joshua, who's the same name as Jesus in the Old Testament, ironically enough. And he told him, I've, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord of Jehovah. Lord of <laughs> What's that? The Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, yes. And so, therefore, he says, take off your sandals off your feet because you're standing on holy ground. So, uh, do you think this is a reference in the same way? The same thing? Yeah. As to the this pre-incarnate Christ? Um, um, of God the Father referring to himself as the angel of the Lord. Yeah. You know, there's a book written, and I want to go to another passage that someone texted in here. Uh, the um, they, uh, 
there's a book I, I'm try, I think the author is named Hingstenberg. It's an older book. And I want to say something C.H. Hingstenberg. And it's called Jesus in Genesis is the name of the book. And there have been and it's a very thick book. It's it's all about the of this this man, Jesus, that we know of as Jesus appearing before he had a body, before he actually came and where he says in Hebrews 10, a body thou hast prepared me. For I come to do thy will, as is written in the book, O Lord. So there's a time in which the man we know of is Jesus before he had a body was just the son of God, the word, uh, whatever other word you put with it, but that did not have a body appeared and was only in spirit form. But then at some point in history, the time of Mary, the Lord gave him a body that he came in as human and he became human, not completely human, but more than human, not just human, I'm trying to say. But Jesus has remained human even after his ascension, in my opinion, in my understanding of the Bible, does not go revert back to being just a spirit because later we see him, uh, as it were, in heaven in with a human body, and he calls us his brethren, and he became a sharer in flesh and blood, as it were, of, with a body. So there's a lot to be said there. We can go through all that. But um, the... Um, There's this book, Jesus in Genesis, and I've read this many years ago and so so long ago, and I probably didn't know enough to even understand all of it when I was reading it. So that I was young. I think that's worth looking up if you haven't got that. Now, John texted in about <coughs> the fact that John is called the I am gospel by a lot of people because you have I am the bread of life. <coughs> and so I am the resurrection all these I am, so it's like seven or eight, and I did a class on this one time. And then he mentions Galatians 3, 7 uh, here. So it says, and we'll start in verse 5, therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, it's obviously doing it by faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know the only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Now that's Genesis 12 and Genesis 22. And you shall all the nations or families of the earth be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many of us are of of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Curses everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does, does them, shall live by faith. And so um, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, verse 13, having become a curse for us. As it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So he says this is Paul's understanding of the relationship between Abraham and the Jews, that Abraham precedes the law of, Mo of Moses, even though the Jews came, claimed Abraham 
as their father that Abraham was the one who was going to bless through him would he God would bless not the Jews only but he would bless all nations through faith and the faith like Abraham had not the law of Moses and the only point he's making there is not that we don't have to do what Christ says that we're free from any any kind of commandments in the law but that the law of Moses came after Abraham and it was brought in alongside he says in Galatians 3 a little bit later in this chapter it was brought in alongside to keep the Jews in check but it was not the means of salvation the faith of Abraham is the means of salvation and that's why it says the just shall live by faith so this whole thing opens up a big picture here in this and so uh, this is the point I think Christ was trying to make, Jesus was trying to make with these people that day, as long as they trusted the law to save themselves and thought that since they were since they were keeping the law of Moses and they called it being an Abraham's child, then they would be saved. He, that's why he told them, uh, I'm able to raise up of these stones children to Abraham, meaning that uh, I can make children of Abraham. You're, you're not children of Abraham by just by keeping the law of Moses and by crucifying me. You're children of Abraham if you have faith in me. So anyway, Ken, we probably drifted far from where you were, what where you wanted to go. But um, yes, I, th- I think that the scriptures do say that Abraham knew Jesus. He wasn't Jesus when they met, as it were, when he knew him, he was the Logos, the Son of God, the commander of the Lord's army, whatever words you find in the Old Testament, he was the Son of God pre-incarnate before that, but we now know him as Jesus. That would be my take on it. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Yeah, and, well, let me give you the second option here. Okay. Let me make... You already touched let, on when you, when you let, let me say one quick thing, Ken, uh, just for those who might be confused about this. I, I met a girl... Uh, Carol, well, we were all young then, but I met a lady one time and studied with her in Fort Lauderdale for a good while. And her first question to me was, well, you know, I I just don't know. I've never read the Bible that much, she says, but I know that Abraham and David and Jesus, you know, they were all friends, but I just don't understand the story. Can you explain this to me? So in, in her view... They all lived together and they were all friends, but she didn't know their relationships. Now, that's not a completely irrelevant question because they do. The point I'm making is they do have a, a relationship, even though what I tried to explain is they lived hundreds and hundreds of years apart. But because of the eternal nature of these things, especially the eternal nature of Christ, they have a relationship to each other. Now, she eventually, you know, became a Christian, was baptized, became a Christian and serve the Lord, but she started off from a position of almost complete ignorance about the Bible. And I'm a fear when you and I are sitting here discussing this, Ken, obviously you've read these things. We are assuming that people understand that there is a great separation of time and so forth uh, between these three. Now, Gary, Gary just texted me, Ken, and says, did Ken say that Abraham worshipped Melchizedek? I don't find that, he's saying. I think he's kind of questioning whether paying tithes to a priest of God is the same as worshiping the priest. And that was kind of the gist of my comment about that. Now, is that that you think that's the point he was trying to make with these Jews, that when 
Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, he was actually worshiping the Christ? Or was he simply saying that Christ, as a priest after the order of Melchizedek, accepted tithes from Abraham, who was greater than Moses? I don't know. Well, let, I, let me let me answer that this way. All right. Uh, when Melchizedek came to Abraham, he was very excited. <laughs> very excited for him being there. He was very excited about it, about, about meeting Melchizedek. Yeah. It wasn't an ordinary visitor. Yes, I, I agree with that. And and yet we know, and I think that's part of the point. The book of Hebrews uses these events differently than some of the other books. For example, it makes the argument that for ex- about priesthood, that Christ could not be a priest on earth because it's evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah in, chapter, in the same chapter 7, but that of which tribe the law says nothing. And then a couple other times he appeals to the silence of the scriptures to teach something positive about what is true. And I think he's doing somewhat the same thing with Melchizedek, at least I think this is a certainly a reasonable position, that <clears throat> with Melchizedek he's saying, since we do not know the genealogy of this man and his family, his life, or his death, and yet Abraham, like you say, was excited and knew who he was and th- and thought of him highly enough to pay him a tithe. You pay the tithe to someone who you view as a spiritually superior, as it were, a father or someone who you owe something. So I suppose that is a form of worship in a broad sense. Worship in the Bible simply means to pay homage or honor to someone, whether man or God, if you look in the dictionary definition of it, in any event. But I, I think it's saying that he's more than just an ordinary person. He's a priest of God who's been given authority by God to receive a tithe. And he receives tithes only from those who owe him a tithe. And so he's saying the father Abraham owed this priest a tithe, and he paid it to him, gladly gave him a tenth. Now, that's the point that I would make. That's a That's pretty... That's as far as you can say 100% as far as calling it worship. I don't know that the Bible does, but it's certainly an, an act of honor or respect for Melchizedek's position, which was higher than Abraham's, in which case he's telling the Jews that in this case, the priests of Aaron, who you respect so much, are lower than Abraham because they are still yet in Abraham's loins, it says. They're, they come after Abraham and they are inferior to Abraham, the priests of Aaron are all the Old Testament priests. So those priests of Aaron paid a tithe to Melchizedek, who Christ is on that level. Whenever you can say Christ is there with Melchizedek. And so uh, that's the that's the order of things. Go, I'm interrupted you. What'd you say? What are you gonna say? Uh, is, is there more than is there more than one king of righteousness or one king of peace? I don't think so. <laughs> No, but it doesn't say that was it. It says that's his name, Melchizedek. And look, I am not disagreeing with you, Ken. It could be that way for sure. And I know a lot of people think that. A lot of people think, though, 
think I'm just presenting the other viewpoint, as it were, of Melchizedek. You're correct. I think I think that the word Melchizedek is intended to be a type of Christ, at the very least, a type of Christ. Just like Joshua, his name means the Lord saves. Uh, Yeshua and Joshua are the same name. And so uh, Joshua is not the Christ, but he is a type of the Christ. His name means the same thing as Jesus. So it's also he's a type of priest. Yes, he is. He is a priest. He is a priest uh, who is different and superior to the priesthood of Aaron because his priesthood is eternal. I, I got it written in my notes on my mar- margin of my Bible somewhere. I don't have it here with me today, but um, that there were something like uh, 78 high priests from the time of Aaron to the time of Christ. And that's the point in Hebrews 7 about that Christ is a priest with, ha- who has the power of an endless life. All these priests of the Old Testament, including Melchizedek, I suppose, if you think of him as a man, they all died after a certain time. And then certain things happened. With the death of the high priest, the law triggered other events I mentioned before. Uh, but with Christ, there is no death of the high priest. And so um, is Melchiz- Melchizedek appears like that. He is a symbol or at the very minimum, he is a figure or type of that because he appears out of nowhere and disappears into nowhere. And so there's no light, no birth and death of this man. He is like God in that sense. That's what he's saying. That's the minimum that he's saying. Could be that he's saying what you are, that this indeed was the Christ appearing to Abraham, to Abraham here and conversing with him. And Abraham paying him homage. And, and so Abraham was looking forward to his day, which where he started back there in the book of John. Okay, so let me let me continue on that note. All right, go ahead. Uh, like, likeness, likeness. Now, you ought to know by now, Ken, when you call me, I go all over the place. So I'm sorry, but I'm having trouble changing my nature. Is it? Well, go ahead. Let me, let me first of all, repeat something you said. Yeah, I may mean, want to make sure everybody that gets. Scares, that scares me. The Pharisees asked him, are you greater than our father Abraham? And the answer is definitely yes. He's saying that, yes. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Genesis 22, offering of Isaac. So in this story, Abraham... I thought you said the, the offing of Isaac. You said the offering of Isaac. <laughs> yeah, anyway. yeah. Abraham represents the father, and Isaac represents Jesus. So um, he, he, Now, let me make this point. You're not saying Abraham is God. You're not saying Isaac is Jesus. You're saying that they are symbols or types. Yes. Yes. I yes. agree with that. Okay, so let me let me read it here. And it came to pass at I'm going to read verses one through nineteen. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. 
Then on the third day, and third day here is, is, is you could consider as a reference to resurrection, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. That's important. And Abraham took the word of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, just like Jesus had the cross, carried the cross. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire for the wood, but where is the lamp for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Notice we didn't say God himself will provide a lamb. It said God will provide himself a lamb. Well, this translation says God will provide for himself. Uh, you're, you're differing from that, but that's, that's debatable. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So, um, okay. So, um, first of all, so he, he, Abraham said they were going to, told the other two men that they were to come, come back, both of them. Mm-hmm. So he either believed that God wasn't going to have him sacrifice his son or that he would raise him from the dead. Well, I think that uh, the Stephen in Acts 7 says that he believed that God would raise him from the dead. Uh-huh. Uh, go ahead, and you read, and I'm going to look that up. Okay, so, and then, and it came to pass the place where God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and found Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. By the way, Isaac here was probably in his 30s, low, low 30s. Not a little kid. Yeah, he wasn't some kid like we think. Yeah, so this is a willing, willing, by doing what his father said. Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son, and the angel of the Lord called upon him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything to him. For now I know that thou fearest God, and thou hast not withheld thy son thine only son for me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and behold, behind him a lamb caught in the thicket by a stone. And Abraham went and took the lamb and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Is this when Abraham saw Jesus' day? When he saw the lamb caught in the thicket? Well, that, that, that could be. <clears throat> that, that very well could be. He almost experienced this the death of Jesus, as it were. Maybe he began to understand exactly what was going on. I don't know. It could be that. Yeah. I've all. I have to tell you, Ken. I've always just pictured it as they be is Christ and Abraham being able to communicate in his after Abraham's death for sure, and talking about these things before he came. To the earth. Yeah, I think it would have been a nice thing to be a fly on the wall in the tent of Abraham when Melchizedek came and saw him. Right. That would have been interesting. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, God, God will provide. I I was wrong about that reference to Stephen in Acts, Acts 7. I, I 
as soon as I said it, I realized maybe I was wrong. It's in Hebrews 11. By faith, Ab verse 17, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he, he, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, meaning your, your son and your seed, the whole earth would be blessed. Now you take the only one you've got and kill him was a big problem. Of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding, Abraham did, that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So this is saying that Isaac's sparing was indeed a resurrection in a figurative sense, that it felt like that to Abraham and was like that to him, and that he had believed, he believed that God would do this even, even as he raised the knife. He believed that God would raise him up. So uh, is this, and that, that may be, I never thought of it before, perhaps you're saying that's when he saw Christ's day and was glad that God would still, that saying that Abraham believed then that, yes, God will keep his promise to bless all nations in his seed. And that's Christ's day. Now that day, <coughs> pardon me, had come upon them. And I think after having, as I mentioned this a couple, few, few times before, the most striking thing, the most striking thing about being in Israel and, and seeing this whole thing, and I could go back, I preached a couple sermons on this back in 2020 when I came back from Israel, is how prominent the, the, the bringing in of the Gentiles was in the New Testament. It was there before. But it's everywhere. It is the core of so much of the gospel message that God intended to save all nations. In fact, in our class this morning, Ken, we're studying Genesis 11 about the Tower of Babel, and that's one of the points I'm going to make. This, this, this Tower of Babel where God disinherits the nations and scatters them was only a temporary thing, and it's been fulfilled in the gospel coming in Acts chapter 2 and all of us being united again in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the of that promise to bring the nations all back. And so um, that is uh, Abraham saw his day. But I believe that the big thing that I thought you were, the where I thought you were going with this was <clears throat> that Christ was eternal and he was telling the people that that day, I am eternal, I am God. I've been around when these things happen long before I, you were born, I was there with Abraham, you see. And I think they knew exactly what the, he was saying, and that's one reason that they tried to kill him, because he said this. And I had never thought about that connection directly like you had there with the offering of Isaac, that this is when he saw, I thought about that connection with Christ, but not about the fact that this is maybe a full, uh, the incident where Abraham saw Christ's day. Could be, very well could be. Interesting. Now, I got a couple of texts while we were talking. See if I can get them up here. Um, Gary, about this thing with Melchizedek, texts in Joshua 5, when it's talking about, I think, the commander of the Lord's army. He says he uses the fell, fell on his face and worshipped, more like what we think of as worship, as a contrast to Abraham meeting Melchizedek. There's no take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. Whereas when when G, when Joshua meets the command of the Lord's army, there is that. <clears throat> and um, 
in Genesis 22, 8, uh, he says that Strong's concludes the preposition of himself. Uh, the Lord will provide the offering for himself. And some say that it's translated more in the New Testament. He provide himself as the offering. Well, we do know the New Testament says this, that Christ is both the just and the justifier. He is both the sacrificer and the sacrifice to pay for our sins. And I think that may be kind of a reference. And John texted in and said, notice that he said seeds, seed, not seeds. That's the point of Galatians 3 that Paul makes, that this seeds is not the Jews, the Jewish nation, as the Jews often take these messianic prophecies. They say now many do, although most Jews don't believe in a Messiah. They certainly don't believe in a personal Messiah at all. And they would say that the Messiah is the Jewish nation and that the Jewish nation has blessed man through men like Jonas Salk and other great Jews who have done all these wonderful things, you, you know, like Lenin and, and, and uh, people like that done all these <clears throat> Freud, you know, those kind of, I'm teasing those kind of Jews, but that the Jewish nation is the Messiah because they've done all these great things for mankind. The Bible contradicts that belief completely in the New Testament. It says that Paul specifically says that the Bible, the text of the Old Testament says, thy seed, singular, not seeds, plural. And so there is one Messiah that was to come to be the savior of mankind. The seed of Abraham was one, and that one is Jesus Christ. That's the point that is being made in the New Testament anyway. You want anything to that, Ken? I appreciate you. We didn't even get to your second one here. We probably don't have time this morning, but. Um, no, no, I'm 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 done. You're done. Well, I appreciate this is interesting, and uh, there's so you know the, when you read the book. I often tell people, Ken, when they ask me about getting started Bible reading or working, we start to. I often recommend the book of John to them, mostly because of what John said at the end, that that there's many things that could be written in chapter 20 about that Jesus did that are worthy of being written. But I but these have I've written, he says, that you might believe and in believing have life on his name. So I, I take that to mean he records the miracles and the points in the book of John here that a person needs to be to to think about to become a, a believer in Christ. Many other things were were there, but he weeded them out and selected these that are in the book of John. So I've often asked, told people, start with the book of John and read it. And yet, and that that's not bad advice, I suppose. But when I look at the book of John, it is a it is a, a deep and complex book, and, and for the very kind of things you're talking about. But what you do see, and when I taught, uh, I taught um, a private religious school for a while, uh, geography, social studies, you know, what everybody loves in the eighth, seventh, eighth grade, you know, geography and history. I taught all those lovely subjects to these <clears throat> young teenagers. But I also taught the Bible class, uh, the a Bible class, and one of, and we got another call, but let me just finish what I'm saying here. 
and, and we we I read through this by in this Bible class, the book of John with him. That's when it first began to really strike me in trying to explain this to these young people. Just how deep and significant and challenging the book of John is. And it was just a book of confrontations, confrontations with these Jews about their preconceptions, about their worldliness with the truth of the of the of the New Testament. And uh, it's a, it's a great book. And so I'd still recommend it to people. Okay, uh, Ken, I appreciate you calling in uh, very much. Great questions and great comments, and I appreciate those who added to them. Let's go to Jerry. Are you are you there, Jerry? Uh, good morning, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I was wondering about, uh, uh, you were talking about the books of the Hebrew uh, religion. I was wondering about the uh, uh, the books of Ruth, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a simple man, uh, a layman, and I was also wondering about uh, the house of David. And when they when they say the straw of David, uh, that the three men, uh, I would think of the, the four wise men uh, followed the straw of David. Could they have possibly have been talking about the North Straw? And I, I'm a simpleton, and uh, I just wonder if you could uh, explain frankincense from Moore, which have brought, uh, what the three wise men brought, uh, you know, to the, uh, to the stable. And, uh, so it's kind of, uh, I know I'm asking a lot of questions, but well, for a simple man, you have some very good questions. Uh, I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. All right, Jerry, thank you for calling. We probably won't be able to get to all of those today. I wrote them down here, but, uh, uh, I don't think, I don't think Jerry's a simpleton to ask good questions like that, but the book of Ruth is another one of the, it's a, a not well understood book, I would suppose. And the book of Ruth, I it's like the book of Esther. It's about a woman. The book of Ruth is interesting because here we have this woman, Ruth, who was not born of Israel, not of the seed of Abraham by by flesh, who comes in and plays an important role in the lineage of Christ, as like, I think she was David's great grandmother because of her faith you see she had faith in the god of uh, of israel because she had been married into a family of israelites and so forth and so she be, plays an important role and she is just simply will not give up as it were until she's blessed now her mother-in-law naomi plays an important role but but this man and this man boaz was a great man you, you just need to read the book of ruth and it probably would involve not you, Jerry, but anybody who's out there, it would involve trying to understand some of the customs that they have had at that time. <clears throat> but like the Leverett Law, where if a man dies having no seed, the law of Moses said that his brother was to take that woman as his wife and raise up a child to his brother, so his brother would have an inheritance. And Of course, we don't have any law like that. This was a law given to the Jews. It's called the Leverett Law. I'm not sure why it's called the Leverett Law, but that's you can look it up to see that. And and uh, we find cases like Onan, where he spilled his seed on the ground because he didn't want to raise up a, a, a son to his brother. God struck him down for that. It wasn't because of the some like the sin of masturbation or something. It was because he wouldn't obey God and raise up a seed to his brother. He was disobedient. And then we see it in play in the book of Ruth. And so there was a near kinsman, and Boaz was that kinsman, 
and he came and and uh, then raised up a son. Ironically, people think the Leverett Law is some kind of an odd law, but here it is, right in the middle of the lineage of Christ himself. This Leverett Law plays a part. So that's another place where the Bible and the events of the Bible all kind of all connect together in places that you that you don't expect them to. When, when God spared Agat, when uh, the people spared the Amalekites and Agag, it ended up that Elijah had to kill the, the Agag and all these people. It's just a interesting connections that are made. But you, the book of Ruth, some people think it's not canonical because it doesn't have a lot of mentions about the priesthood and it doesn't have the mentions. And perhaps it's one of those books, I'm saying this off the top of my head, that doesn't have the name Jehovah in it. And I'm pretty sure that Esther might be the another book like that, but I don't think that's a re. It's almost always it's always been considered a canonical book by the Jews. Now, as far as this House of David, the Star of David, and so forth, uh, the House of David is in the Bible. God says in Second Samuel seven, David wanted to build the Lord a house. He said, "I you, you, I have a ha- I have a great house." David said, "A palace, as it were, and God has no house. I, I'm going to build the Lord a house." meaning a temple for him to live in. And God said, no, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to make you a house. You're going to become my a house. And your your seed will sit on the throne forever. I'm going to bring, I'm going to paraphrase this prophecy. I'm going to bring the Savior through your lineage. So here we have Ruth in the lineage of, da- of Christ back further. And then you have David uh, in Christ's lineage. And God says, I'm going to take the sons of David, as it were, and make them king. And one of the sons of David is going to sit on the throne forever, according to the line of David. Now, let me just, I'm going to come back to that. We've got about five minutes left or four minutes, but I'm going to come back to that and briefly just say this, uh, that I don't think the star of David is in the Bible. That's something that came out separately in the, from the scriptures as a symbol came much later as far as I know from what I read about in the past. I haven't looked this up in years, but in what I've read about in the past, the Star of David is not connected with the Bible, and it, it is not something that was uh, spiritually important. <clears throat> but And so, therefore, I don't think that the Star of David or had anything to do with the Star of Bethlehem per se, at least that I can, I can recall or, or think about in the Bible. It could be. Could be that's why God picked a star. I don't think it was the North Star in any event, although that's a very prominent star. Uh, I don't think it was the North Star. This star that appeared at the birth of Christ was something very different than these men had ever seen before. Not one of the normal stars in the sky that they were following. And because this star moved and it actually settled over a house there in the city of Bethlehem. Now, we're going to have to leave frankincense and myrrh for another time, they were just simply spices, and, and I don't know uh, if there's some, there's probably some kind of symbolism there that I'm not aware of. But right now, I'm not aware of a, <clears throat> of anything symbolic, particularly about frankincense and myrrh and gold, in the, except that they were valuable gifts that were given to this young baby, who these wise men thought was the king of the Jews, as it were. But I'm going to go back to this house of David because. 
what God, what Christ says about that in the, in the time we have left uh, uh, is important in the book of Acts. We see this whole thing. I can't. Sorry, I'm not looking this up correctly here. Uh, oh, for crying out loud. Why is it when you're in a hurry, your fingers don't work? Um, Peter mentions this here in his sermon uh, on, in Acts chapter 2 after the crucifixion of Christ. And he's quoting, first of all, Joel the prophet and saying what you're seeing today with this pouring out of these spiritual gifts is what Joel prophesied. But he says um, that this Jesus, this man of Nazareth, who, who you know is a miracle worker, you put him to death, but God raised him up, verse 24, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Over my flesh will also rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will your Holy One see corruption and so forth. So he says here, that David's referring to someone who will not stay dead, but will come back to life. And that's this Jesus. And men and brethren, Peter says, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he's both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath that of the fruit of his body, he would raise up according to the flesh, the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ. So he says here, that Christ's resurrection was spoken of by uh, by the prophets as a symbol of Christ being seated on David's throne. We're going to have to come back to this perhaps next week because we got to go right now. But I really appreciate all the calls, comments, texts today. You really helped me out. We want to invite you to take a look at our website for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. So until next week, this is Mike Schmidt. We thank you for listening. And may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. The Lord has promised.